Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. A tithe is an apportionment that means a tenth. Though tithing is a principle found in the Old Covenant, it is a good place to start in your personal financial stewardship, even as a New Testament Christian, because the Lord does not change. If it's hard for you to trust Him with your money, then put Him to the test and give Him a tithe, and then watch Him open the windows of heaven. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. That's Malachi chapter 1, verse 11, and this is Something Good Radio. Hi, I'm Brian Davis, and welcome to another great day of teaching with Dr. Ron Jones. Well, about 400 years before the birth of Christ, the people of Israel had lost their passion for serving God. And in his last words to the Israelites for more than four centuries, the Lord sent the prophet Malachi to remind them what he had done for them and what he will do for them in the future. Ron takes us to these last words next as he continues his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Online you'll find us at somethinggoodradio.org where you can listen to the broadcast on your schedule. Subscribe to the podcast at Spotify, at Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's join Ron for part two of his Something Good Radio message, Malachi, making great the Lord's name. The Lord goes on to say the whole nation was cursed, not blessed, because they had withheld the tithe. And again, the prophet Haggai went after the same problem, their misplaced financial priorities. Now, we are not ancient Israel, and they lived under a theocracy, and we need to keep all that into consideration. But at the same time, the Lord said very pointedly through his prophet Malachi, chapter 3 and verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. A tithe is an apportionment, which means a tenth, by the way. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you, a blessing until there is no more need. Now, if you've been around a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church for any length of time, you've heard that a hundred times, right? But uh, how interesting it is that this is the only time in the Bible where the Lord says, uh, put me to the test. Test me. If you can't trust me in this area of your life, in your finances, trust me enough to, to give, all right? then test me. And what that means is the next paycheck that you give, take the first 10% off the top and give it to the Lord and watch and see what he does. His promise is that he will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until it meets every need you have. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? And you can literally go to the bank 
on God's promise here. He not only promises to pour out a blessing, but get this in verse 11. He promises to rebuke the devourer for you. Who's he referring to there? Was well, it possible that the devil messes with your finances? You bet he does. He wants to mess with every area of your life. He wants to mess with your finances until he has you in financial bondage, in debt up to your eyeballs, where you can't be completely spiritually free when you're in financial bondage. It's just not possible, friends. And the Lord says, I, I will not only pour out a blessing and meet every one of your needs, Paul says in the New Testament, all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He's got a warehouse so big, you can never out, you know, he's just, he's just shoveling blessings out there who put him to the test. And he, and he never depletes the warehouse. And he'll meet every need and he'll rebuke the devourer. I've counseled, I don't know how many people over the years who find themselves, you know, followers of Jesus, but in a really, really bad financial place. And uh, we'll, we'll do a, you know, deep dive on their finances and look at their spending patterns and all this. Eventually, I always come back to this, you know, primary principle. Tithing will do two things, no matter how much debt you're in. Sounds counterintuitive. But you start aligning your finances to biblical principles and begin, begin with tithing, and two things will happen. The Lord says, I'll rebuke the devourer. I'll pour out a blessing. You will, you will put yourself on the pathway to financial freedom God's way, okay? And, and you're, you're, right now, you're on this treadmill. You got more month than you have money. It's just not working out. And you, and you don't know how, okay, as counterintuitive as it sounds, start tithing and watch the Lord make a way for you financially. Much debate exists about whether tithing, the practice of giving at least 10% of the money you earn to the Lord, is for today's believer in Jesus Christ. Well, my personal lifetime study on the matter of biblical financial stewardship has led me to the conviction that tithing is the biblical starting point in our giving. We're also encouraged to give free will offerings in addition to that. By the way, that's the way the tabernacle and the temple were built, not with the tithe, but with free will offerings. Uh, give whatever the Lord has placed upon your heart was the idea behind a free will offering. But the tithe was, a, was an, an apportionment, a percentage. Nobody in the Bible was ever considered generous who gave less than 10%. Uh, the examples we have even in the New Testament go so far beyond 10%. I mean, the widow impressed Jesus at the temple when she dropped a couple of coins in there. And Jesus looks at his disciples who were over there by the bagel bar, you know, stuffing themselves in. Did you see that? Did we see, did we see what? Did we see what? Did you see this woman give? She gave everything. What an act of faith. What an act of faith. Barnabas in Acts chapter 4 uh, he sold a piece of property, brought it to the apostles, and said, distribute it to those who have need. I mean, just outrageous generosity, and we're quibbling over whether to tithe on the gross or the net. Are you kidding me? Tithing was a lifestyle practiced by Abraham 
430 years before Moses came down Mount Sinai with clay tablets. Those of you who say, no, tithing is, it puts us under the law. We're not under the law, we're under grace. No, tithing started four centuries before that. When Moses came home with the spoils, or not Moses, but Abraham came home with the spoils of war, gave a tenth to King Melchizedek, the king of Salem, who became Jerusalem. We learn from the writer of Hebrews that Melchizedek is an Old Testament type of Christ. What a powerful example of a lifestyle, not a law. Certainly under the Mosaic law, tithing was codified. It was expanded. They didn't just give 10%. It was more like a tax system under the theocracy. No, we're not under the theocracy. But they gave upwards of 33%, multiple tithes, plus free will offerings. Now, we're not under law, we're under grace, and we don't tithe as New Testament believers because we're under the Mosaic law any more than Abraham tithed because he was under the Mosaic law. The law hadn't even come yet. And yet, he gives us this example of 4,000 years ago of, of somebody who brings um, a gift that honors the king in this case, King Melchizedek. So by tithing, we walk by faith. It takes faith to do it. It takes faith to give to God first. I get that. It doesn't take anything to give him the leftovers to see if you have something left over at the end of the month. That's not tithing, that's tipping. So by tithing, we, we walk by faith. We also honor the Lord with our wealth, don't we? And with the first fruits of all he's given to us. And we acknowledge by tithing that all we possess belongs to him. Now, after that brief defense, if you still feel legalistic or too Old Testament about it, give 11 or 12 or 13%. I don't know. Pick a number there. But don't go the opposite direction. You know that the, the average church-going person today gives, as a percentage, no more than the average non-religious person gives to charitable causes, it's about two and a third percent. Not considered generous by biblical standards in the least bit. 13% of people who go to church even come close to tithing. What that means, friends, is that most churches, including ours, as generous as our church body is, even our churches, is under-resourced. Imagine the missionaries we could support. Imagine the churches we could plant. Uh, imagine the disciples we could make. But we're, we're trying to cobble together, you know. We're watching every dollar, every penny that comes in. I mean, literally, we have a close eye on it because we're trying to stretch it as far. If, if God's people just did the minimum, the minimum expectation in the Bible, oh, most churches would be able to carry the gospel in, in more ways than we can imagine. Still ahead, the second half of today's Something Good radio message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Something new is happening at Something Good. Visit our website, somethinggoodradio.org, where we recently released a brand new streaming platform for Something Good Radio and Something Good Television, or what we're calling SGTV. There, you'll also find Something Good Travel, Something Good Courses, and the new Something Good Digital Library. 
That's where you can search for biblical answers to your questions from nearly 30 years of Ron's Bible teaching ministry. Watch, listen, and download for free. That and a lot more is available now at somethinggoodradio.org. We have a great resource to share with you today, yours for your donation to Something Good Radio. Dr. Ron Jones has written a downloadable ebook that goes along with his current series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. The latest in this series of ebooks is based on the 12 minor prophets of the Old Testament, Hosea through Malachi. Request your download today for your donation to Something Good Radio. Donate online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. You can also call our offices, the number 757-276-1099. Now here's Ron with the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, Malachi, making great the Lord's name. But it brings us to the end of, of Malachi to the end of his ministry and what the Lord said through him. And it also brings us to the end of the time of the prophets, which started with uh, Samuel. And it closes out the Old Testament Christian canon by encouraging the Jewish remnant there to compile a book of remembrance. We read this beginning in verse 13 of chapter 3. And uh, Malachi does this in response to their complaint. They complain that it is vain to serve the Lord. It's worthless. It's of no benefit to us. Can you imagine such a complaint coming from God's people? And Malachi, uh, the Lord says to Malachi, have them create a book of remembrance. They had no idea this was going to be the last word they heard for the next four centuries. But the Lord was going to have them write some things down. A book of remembrance. And uh, the Lord was going to show them, quote, the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. And through his prophet Malachi, the Lord goes on to talk about a day when arrogant evildoers will burn like an oven before the Lord and become stubble. And by way of contrast, on that same day, he says in chapter 4 and verse 2, You who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Oh yeah, the Lord had a dispute with their claim that it's vain to serve him. It's of no benefit. Why would you even waste your time doing that? In other words, uh, serving the Lord is not vain. It's valuable. It's valuable. Big, bold, and bright will be the blessing of the Lord on those who fear him. And then after a final encouragement to obey the Mosaic law, Malachi closes with a kind of a strange reference to Elijah the prophet. He says, Elijah is coming before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And the question is, uh, you know, is this a reference to uh, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Messiah? Because when John came, people were just amazed at his ministry. And, and people would come up to John and say, John, John are, are you a prophet? Uh, John, are, are, are you Elijah? John, John, are you the Messiah to come? And I love John's authentic response. He says, no, not me. John could have taken the accolades and run with it a little bit. He could have looked into the mirror and said, you know, I, I look a little Messiah-like today, don't I? He didn't. He says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. He must increase, but I must decrease. John must have read Malachi 
who, who left lingering in the hearts of the people, make great the Lord's name. John had every opportunity to make his own name great and run with it for a while, but he didn't. And there's this question. I remember a paper we had to write in seminary. Is John the Baptist the Elijah who is to come? And what about the, the two witnesses in Revelation at the end of the age, Revelation chapter 11? These two mysterious witnesses reappear on this earth. And uh, John the Apostle doesn't tell us exactly who they are, but he describes their ministry in a way that if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you say, well, he's talking about Moses and Elijah returning. It's, it's interesting. It's seminard stuff. That's what my wife would say. Just a bunch of seminards thinking about this stuff and writing papers about this stuff. But, but here it is uh, in the end of, of Malachi. It, probably not the way that I would end a book or you would end a book, but it's the way the prophets close out. Uh, leaving us with these thoughts lingering, at least in the hearts of the Jewish remnant, for 400-some for years. And they were difficult years. Difficult years between the Testaments, between Malachi and Matthew that we get to next week. That was a time when, well, Antiochus Epiphanes showed up in about 160 BC and nearly bludgeoned and obliterated the Jews. The Maccabean Revolt takes place during that time. The reason the Jews celebrate Hanukkah is because of how God miraculously preserved them even uh, 150 years or so before the time of Christ. So these were, these were difficult years to, to not hear a single word from the Lord, not a single prophet, to encourage them or to rebuke them. Listen, if you didn't have a copy of the Bible, if you didn't have a church to go to, if you didn't have anybody speaking into your life with the word of God, how would you survive? What would you hang on to? What are the last words that would linger in your heart. I hope it sounds something like this. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name, not your name, not my name, not the church's name, not some business brand that you're trying to get out there, but my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. That's what we're supposed to do. As John the Baptist later said, he must increase and I must decrease. He's got a bigger name and a bigger brand than I do, and I've always got to keep that in perspective. And I want the Lord's name to be great. I never want to doubt his love. I never want to dishonor his name or break his covenant or disrespect his justice. I, I, I even want in the financial area of my life to make his name great, to invest in my eternal portfolio as much as my earthly portfolio. What a way to end the Old Testament, right? So much that we've learned on these five road trips, beginning with the books of the law and then the Old Testament historical books, the wisdom books, the major prophets, the minor prophets. One main character, the Christ who is to come. 
And next week we begin road trip number six. Are you ready for this one? The Gospels and the early church. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts. I can't wait to get to that one. If you've made it through 39 Old Testament books, man, I, you, I hope you're as excited about where we're going now in the New Testament for road trips five, no, six, seven, and eight as we make our way uh, through the New Testament all the way to the book of Revelation. Let's make his name great, friends, in this place. He must increase, we must decrease. Until from the rising and the setting of the sun, uh, the Lord's name is great to all the nations. Thanks so much for being here for today's Something Good radio message, Malachi, making great the Lord's name. And Dr. Ron Jones joins me now. Ron, we've arrived at the end of our journey through the Old Testament. Before we move ahead to the Gospels and the early church, I wonder if you might share a few final thoughts about what we've covered in the first five road trips through the Bible. Yes, and thanks, Brian. You know, people often say that the Old Testament is about God's law and the New Testament is about God's grace. But what we need to remember is this. The Old Testament is just as much about the grace of God as it is the law of God. Think back to the Garden of Eden, for example, to the fall of man when sin entered the world. We see at least three beautiful pictures of the grace of God. First, he already had a plan in place to come live among us and pay the price for our sin. If that's not grace, what is? Second, when Adam and Eve sinned, God sat down beside them and made clothes to cover their nakedness and shame. Finally, he removed them from the Garden of Eden, not as a punishment, but to prevent them from eating from the tree of life and living forever in a sinful state, uh, unable to uh, be completely and eternally perfected through the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Later, when he sent Moses down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, that was an act of grace as well. Had he not drawn a clear, definitive line with respect to sin, uh, had he given us no guidelines whatsoever, there's no telling how far we'd dive and delve into depravity. Uh, we've gone plenty far enough as it is, but without the grace of God's law, it would be far, far worse. All throughout the Old Testament, Brian, we see the grace of God at work. And in his last words to Israel here in the book of Malachi, God is telling us to point people to that grace, uh, that we need to be out there actively making great his name, telling everyone we can that uh, God created them, that he loves them, that when sin entered the world, he, he died for them so that they might live. We are saved by what, Brian? Well, by grace through faith in Christ. Uh, from cover to cover, the Word of God is all about the grace and love of God. Uh, the Old Testament points us to the Christ who is to come, and uh, we find the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's point people to him so that all who believe it and believe in him will find abundant, joyful, victorious life in the here and now and eternal life in the hereafter when God's grace uh, will be fully understood in a way that we cannot possibly imagine right now. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thanks for those encouraging words about the undeniable, unrivaled grace of God. Ron, in our next broadcast, you'll be embarking on road trip number six, the Gospels and the early church. Up first, Matthew. What can you tell us about this upcoming message? 
Brian, we often think of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as uh, biographies of our Lord's time here on earth, uh, what he said, what he did, and how he was uh, betrayed and ultimately crucified. And to some degree, that's true. But there's far more to the purpose of the Gospels than that. Uh, Matthew, for example, offers convincing evidence that Jesus was indeed the long-awaited Jewish Messiah, uh, one who possessed the proper lineage and all the rights to sit on King David's throne, plus the right to sit on the throne of your heart and mine. And so as we work our way through Matthew's Gospel for the next couple of days, I'd like our listeners to keep this question in mind. Who is your king? It's the most important question you'll ever ask. That's next time when Dr. Ron Jones shares his message, Matthew, who is your king? Join us then for Something Good, for Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio. I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.